Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for Katie Roberts and for those that have worked with her. Father, thank you so very much for her mother, Rhonda Goss, her faithfulness to you and to her children. And Father, thank you that in that we have a picture of young people, young people being taught. Father, we ask today that you would open up our hearts and minds to see how you feel, what you say about one generation growing older and passing something on to the next. Father, I ask that today your Holy Spirit would cause us to radically embrace this truth and to not be like what normal, normal life and culture says and to not be what has always been the case. But God, we would be people of your word who have an emphasis, a right and proper emphasis on young people. Oh, Father, give us this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible and you'll use the Pew Bible there in front of you, it's page 1094, page 1094. Today I'm going to preach on one short verse. And so I would like for everybody to see it and know this verse. This is one of those verses that you need to know. I'm going to shape so much of what I'm talking about today around this one verse, this one thought of one generation passing on to another. Now, uh, in case you have never ever seen catechisms or question and answer type of teaching like that, let me do say that uh, by no means are we saying that that means that uh, that Katie is, is on her way to heaven because she can answer those questions. By no means do we think that, that Katie is a better kid than the kid that did not come up here. By no means uh, do we think anything particularly special in the eyes of God simply because she has learned what her teachers have taught her. Any good student, whether it's for God or not, should be learning what their teachers are teaching them. Okay, That is just a picture of what happens when adults teach kids. Kids can learn. And our hope and our prayer is that through the love of their mother, uh, her and her brother, the love of their mother, and then the love of their church, and then the teaching that they're getting through the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that God would transform in the heart of a young person like Katie to do what I preached on last week, to give her the new birth in which she would be a child of God believing in Jesus following after Christ with her whole life. I want you all to understand that all of that is in perspective when Katie does that. I do want you to know, though, that that is a very effective way of teaching kids the truth. Very effective. Very effective, as you can see. Now, what Matt didn't say is that there are about 20 kids that we average on a Wednesday night coming, and nearly, from what I'm hearing, nearly every kid could have done that. See, teaching like that is very powerful and very uh, impactful upon a life. What I want to get at today is that God has designed it that one generation would pass on to the next generation who God is and what God has done. 
If you've never heard that before, if you don't have that conviction that I am praying and have been praying all week long for you to get that today. Friday night we were at home and uh, family's sick. It's been a rough week. Val and Caroline are still sick, not here again today. Uh, so we're at home and I didn't even know I had the channel, but the Charlotte Hornets were playing on TV. And me being from Charlotte, I'm a Charlotte Hornets fan. So I got to watching the game. It went into overtime. It went into double overtime. And we're watching that. And once it got into double overtime, I called the boys in and I asked them if they wanted to stay up late past bedtime. They said, yes, of course. And I said, well, only if you watch this game with me. And so we sat down and I started showing them who Kimball Walker was and who Al Jefferson was. We call him Big Al. And who Lance Stevenson was. And he's our new good star player. And I started explaining all this. I said, watch. And I made sure they saw that Michael Jordan's sitting just a few rows down from the end of the bench. And I was pointing all that out to them. I was making them watch. And you know, it dawned upon me while I was doing that, this was on Friday night late, that my dad grew up in Charlotte and he did the same thing to me when the Charlotte Hornets became a team. And then it dawned upon me that my dad's dad was a uh, season ticket holder for the Charlotte Hornets and he had done the same thing with, 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 with me and with, with my dad. Just pointed out to us, these are the Hornets, do you know the players? It was my grandpa that took me to get a Muggsy Bogues Charlotte Hornets autographed jersey years ago when I was a little kid back in the 80s. And it dawned upon me that, wow, this is, this is what our family has done. I want my kids to know about Charlotte Hornets basketball because my dad did that to me and my grandpa did that to me. Then the next day, yesterday, Saturday, it was uh, Val had to, to do a few things, and so uh, there are leaves everywhere in our yard, and so I told the boys that we're going to bundle up and get out in the backyard and work on leaves all day, and we, we did. For the most part of the afternoon yesterday, we worked on leaves in the backyard, and so I had a little fire going where I was trying to burn some leaves, and I had several piles where all of us were raking them up, and we had a big uh, tarp out there where we were uh, raking up leaves and then going and dumping them out in the woods in a pile. We're doing all that, and while we're doing that, I thought to myself, this is exactly what my childhood was like. I remember the good old days when mom and dad would be out here raking leaves. and I made the biggest pile you've ever seen about this big and the kids were swinging off of a rope and, and jumping down into the leaves. They had buried themselves in the leaves to where you, you couldn't even see them and they had a blast with it. They did it and they did it and they did it. They did it for hours on end, jumping in a pile of leaves. And I thought, you know, this is what I used to do with my parents. I remember it so clearly. That's what my childhood was like. And folks, you too can relate to many things that somebody, your mom or dad or your grandparents or maybe just a neighbor, an adult, spent time with you, invested in you, and it impacted you. And isn't that a beautiful thing? Some of you would say those are some of your dearest memories. Some of you would say, oh, how I long for that again. And I want to tell you here today that while you adults long for that, I want to assure you that the children absolutely long for that. They may not be able to sort it out right now how much they long for it, but the older they get, the more it comes into perspective how much they loved that, enjoyed that, appreciated that, learned from that, grew from that, and benefited from that, those moments. We know that to be true. I think most of you even agree with me now. I want to take it a step further now and say, God's heart and design through His Word 
is that all of that good uh, one generation to the next, time spent together, fellowship, relationship, uh, investing in, also applies to our relationship with God. Who God is and what He's done. And we have a major problem in that moms and dads are really good at doing a lot of things well with their children except God. Except Jesus, who He is and what He's done. Today I don't want to talk so much about why that is, although I would say it's because we're not into Jesus as much as we would say we are. And so it's not a priority of ours. It's not a desire of ours. And certainly not a conviction of ours. But today I want to preach to you a sermon that's been heavy on my heart that answers the question, why all the emphasis on young people? And it is my desire that First Baptist Fairdale, in this little community of Fairdale, would become a leading church to many, many churches around us on our emphasis upon young people. Now's the time if there's ever going to be a time. At 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 in the Bible, we have the Apostle Paul writing a letter to young Timothy. Does everybody see that? You have an older man, the Apostle Paul, who was called by God, met Paul, uh, met, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He is indeed commissioned by God to be one of God's few, select few apostles that will go out and take the message of God to the world. Paul was a missionary, evangelist, minister, pastor who planted many churches. Well, as you know, he, pastors won't be here forever. So Paul knew that it was always about investing in the next. That should be common sense, and yet often you and I don't even think about that. But Paul knew that it was always about investing in the next. And so Paul met a young man, Timothy, in Ephesus. And Paul learned to uh, build a relationship with him and saw great gifts and characteristics in Timothy. And Paul began to disciple, mentor, train up Timothy. He writes him letters. As a little side note, I want to ask you if you've ever written a letter to a young person. I want to ask you if you've ever written a letter to a young person to let them know that you're proud of them, to let you know that you love them, to let them know that you uh, see good growth in them, to let them know that you have expectations of them. Have you ever done that? Now today, it may not be a letter that's uh, licked with a stamp or anything like that, but it very well could have been a phone call. Very well, maybe a little card. I want to ask you if you see, like Paul, the need for investing and caring in young people. And Paul, I want you to see very basically here, Paul writes letters to a young person. Timothy. Paul writes letters to a young man who is going to be leading churches under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And if you look around our church right now, there are more people sitting right there than there are people sitting right there. And in a couple of the old folks over there that are trying to be young, we all can observe that that's mostly young people. And I wonder if you've ever thought about picking out one of them or all of them and saying, you're awesome. I know life's hard these days. Keep your eyes on the prize. Don't give up. That was four sentences. That was about ten words. But I guarantee you, if anybody over there got a note like that, it'd probably make their day or their year. 
Paul's writing letters to Timothy. He's writing letters to Timothy saying, man, you're the man for the job. You're the one God has His hand upon. He said, I know that because God put my hands upon you as I pass the torch to you. You're the one. Look what he says here at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you then, my child. You see that relationship there? He calls him his child. That wasn't his daddy. He was a mentor to him. He loved him. Cared about him. He knew him. My child. Paul's the one who had led him to faith in Christ. Paul's the one who's been teaching him what it means to be a man of God. Get it together, son. We don't act like that. Paul's the one who said things to him like that. My child, he says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I want to stop right there. Everybody in the room right now needs to hear somebody say to us, hey, be strengthened. Be strong in Christ. You ever told a young person to be strengthened in Jesus? You ever told a young person to be strong? And I tell you what, when somebody says to be strong, that lifts you up. Paul says, be, be strong. Be strengthened in Jesus Christ. But now verse 2, our verse for today. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What a loaded verse. If you underline or highlight, please underline this one. If you're listening to me today, please do not let this verse slip away from your memory ever, ever again. This verse is loaded. I want to point out to you that Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, what you have heard from me, you need to know, you need to not forget, you need to remember, and it needs to now go on. I want to ask you, uh, folks, for anybody under you, is there any hope in your life that they would not forget the good stuff about God that you have told them? And I think, sadly enough, that many of us cannot even get to thinking, uh, do the young people under me know anything that I have taught them? But Paul here says, Timothy, what you have heard from me. Folks, we need to be a people who are letting young people hear from us. They need to hear from us. They need to hear from us regularly. They need to hear from us often. This church, us, we people, you, you adults, we need to be a, a people who the community and the young people in the community who are continually hearing from us. And then he says, Timothy, what you have heard from me, you go and pass on. But more than pass on, he says, you entrust, which means you pass it on, but you make sure you don't drop it. This is not a, hey, here may I catch. And it might get dropped. This is like, hey man, both hands. D -d pay attention. Watch your step. Don't drop this. Hold on tight to it. And trust this. This that I'm about to hand off to you is so valuable. This that I'm about to hand off to you is the make or break item for your family 50 years from now. There is one thing that will make J.J., Eli, Noah, Carolina, and whoever the next girl's name is, because we don't have one. There is one thing that will satisfy their souls and forgive them of their sins and make them sure in God. And that is the message that the Lord Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of sins. 
And if that super valuable eternal message is not passed on to my children, then it is a problem. A big problem. And so, and so Paul says, Timothy, be strengthened, son, child. Be strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the message that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust now to other people. Make sure they get it. But even when he says that, he says, but make sure the people that you're giving it to, make sure the people you're giving it to will make sure that they give it to someone. You don't hand off this super valuable message unless you understand that the people you're handing it to understand they've got to be handing it to people. It doesn't stop with us. It cannot stop with us. It should not stop with us. What does Paul have in view here? I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Four generations. Paul to Timothy to the people Timothy hands it to, to the people they hand it to. Four generations are in view here in 2 Timothy 2.2. Four generations. And today I want to ask ourselves, I want to ask you, are you focused upon that? The thing that you are believing right now, are you burdened? Are you living literally every day of your life to make sure that those under you are going to get this and they're going to get it in such a way that those under them are going to get it, but get it in such a way that those under them are going to get it? Are you mindful that this message is so valuable that it must make it four generations? And this is why we have all the emphasis on young people. Folks, if we don't emphasize somebody younger than us, it won't make it two generations. If we don't have our focus on young people, it won't make it 50 years. But there is the hope in the Gospel, and from the message of the Word of God, there is the good news of Jesus that this valuable message that you and I carry can make it 200 years from now. And if it is entrusted then to faithful men who will do the same thing, that it could make it another 200 years and another 200 years. Let me remind you, in case, you, in case you're not understanding this simple method of passing on the message of God. Let me remind you, this is not about a big church life, and this is not about successful preachers, and this is not about big programs. This is about one person passing the baton to the next person. That's what you see here. Let me remind you that this started with Jesus, who invested himself not in a mega church, not in a First Baptist Fairdale where this huge crowd of people comes to listen to Jesus and then he says, Go with it. No. This started with Jesus taking 12 people and giving his whole life to them. He spent nights with them, days with them, hungry with them, traveling with them, everything with them. And then at one point, he empowers them through the Holy Spirit to go and pass that on. And Jesus passing it on like that caused it to ripple effect and multiply and spread to where it got to other places. Then it gets to Paul. Paul is from Jesus. Jesus gives it to Paul. And now Paul is doing it to Timothy. And the hope and the plan of God is that as a faithful person takes the message of God, they will entrust it, hand it off to another. I want this to be the foundation for why all the emphasis on young people. I'm going to give you four words today. Four points. The first is our reach. The second is the reality. The third is the risk. And the fourth is the reward. 
If you take notes, or if you can take notes, if you grab a pen that's there in the pew in front of you and write on your bulletin, you don't need to write down everything I say, but there will be several, several Scriptures that I point out today to try to convince you of this from the Word of God. I start with our reach. Reach is, this is our reach. What, what, what is available out there? Are we, are we in position to where there are no young people to emphasize? Are there not enough young people? Is it true that young people are impossible these days? Is it true that there are no young people that we see, we don't have relationships with them? Is that the case? According to the 2014 World Census, there are 7.2 billion people on earth. That is a lot. Out of those 7.2 billion, listen to this, 26% of all of the people on the planet are under the age of 14. More than a quarter of all the people on earth are under the age of 14. Do you realize that? 14 and under. Folks, that is to say that there are young people everywhere. And if you get into some of the third world countries, you get into some of the third world countries, that statistic rises up to 40 and 50% of the country is under the age of 14. I'm not sure where we're looking, but we need to not miss it that the world is full of young people. Many parts of the world, life expectancy is going down. And in many parts of the world, especially in third world countries, birth rate is going up. There are young people everywhere. Here in Louisville, Kentucky, listen to this. This blows my mind. JCPS, our public school system, has over 100,000 students inside of Louisville, Kentucky. JCPS boasts this year over 101,000 students attend Jefferson County Public Schools. That's a lot. And if you were to add up all of the children that are in homes learning about God, it wouldn't dent the surface. If you were to add up all of the kids that are attending a church, it wouldn't become close. These would be embarrassing statistics side by side. But 100,000 students is so many. Folks, they're everywhere. Kids are everywhere. What a time for us to emphasize it. 101,000 students in JCPS is nearly enough to fill up the KFC Yum Center five times. Every single seat in the KFC Yum Center could be filled five times with just students from JCPS. That doesn't even begin to get to the kids that aren't old enough for school, that are going to a private school, or something else. 101,000. What about right here in Fairdale, an even closer reach? There are lots of young people here too. Fairdale as a town only boasts 8,000 people. We're small. We're really small. Yet Fairdale Elementary School has over 600 kids right here. I could probably hit a golf ball from here to the elementary school parking lot. We walk that far all the time. When I walk from my house to the church, I walk by there all the time. We take our kids to play on their awesome purple playground all the time. That elementary school, over 600 kids. Coral Ridge Elementary School, also in Fairdale, just right up the road here, has nearly 500 kids, over 1,000 kids, 1,100 kids, just in elementary schools, less than a mile from here. Fairdale High School, right up the road that we know also well, has around 1,160 students this year. Just in schools that are less than a mile from First Baptist Church of Fairdale, we know of over 2,000 kids. And if we were to look at how many of those 2,000 know the saving message of Jesus, or have a relationship with the church, or have adults that care for them to know it, we would be embarrassed. As the pastor of our church, as a dad that lives in this town, I'm embarrassed. 
Over 2,000 kids right here in Fairdale. That's not even counting Lassiter Middle School, which is right on the other side of Outer Loop. Folks, the reach is there. There are kids everywhere. Our excuse cannot be that there aren't kids. That just doesn't work. Do you remember that sermon that I preached Sunday morning right after the Fairdale Fair? And I introduced how coming home from the Fairdale Fair, I saw over 200 kids just right out here in Fairdale. Do you remember that? There's kids everywhere. We open our eyes, we will see them. May God give us a burden for the need to meet them. The reach is there. Number two, the reality. God's design is for His good news about our King Jesus to be passed on to these young people. God's design, here's the reality, God's design is for His good news about Him being a a, a saving, loving, gracious God. A God who delights in forgiving the sins of those who have gone astray. God's design is for this message of Jesus to be passed on to them. That's His design. God's design is for us to have a relationship with them so that the baton could be passed to them, so that hope could be passed to them, so that love would be passed to them. Why all the emphasis on young people? Because it is God's emphasis that this would be passed on. Let me read to you some Scriptures. Psalm 71, 18. And this is for the older folks. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim Your might to another generation. Your power to all those to come after me. I'm going to ask you here today, folks, because I'm, I'm, I'm getting gray hair too. I want to ask you if it's your conviction that God would use you to tell the next generation. That's Psalm 71, 18. Do not forsake me, O God, until I proclaim your might to another generation. Folks, this is the conviction, this is the Bible belief that we need if we're going to be able to emphasize young people, if we're going to be a church that rightly has our perspective on what God says for our perspective to be. What about Psalm 78, verses 2 through 4? I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old things that we have heard and known. Listen, that our fathers have told us. My heart breaks for the young people. And my heart breaks even more for the young people when the old people badmouth the young people. When the young people have the legitimate excuse that my father, my mother, even the church going ones haven't taught me anything, nothing, jack, about God and forgiveness of sins and holiness and what really matters in life. Psalm 78 says, We will not hide it from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. We will not. That is our desire. The psalmist writes, We want our children to know about this. We want our children to know about God and who He is and what He's done. We want to know about the glorious deeds of the Lord and the might and the wonders that He has done. Psalm 145, verse 4, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation to the next. I heard a story one time of a grandpa who was uh, digging his farm and, and, and planting his garden. And he had his grandson with him. And his grandson kept saying, they were going along and in each little row they were, they were putting the seeds in the dirt and putting the seeds in the dirt and putting the seeds in the dirt. And finally the boy who was about eight years old, he says, Grandpa, what, what's going to come up right there? And he said, well, well, what do we plant there? He said, we planted tomatoes. And he said, well, then tomatoes are going to grow up there. And he said, well, what about that one? He said, well, 
what's going to grow up there? And he said, well, we plant, what do we plant there? And he said, we plant tomatoes. And he said, well, then tomatoes are going to grow up there. And he said, well, what about that one? What's going to grow up there? And he said, well, what do we plant there? And he said, tomatoes. And he said, well, then tomatoes are going to grow up there. And he, the boy who's now grown up and is a preacher said his grandpa reached into his overalls, reached into his overalls and pulled out one of those little New Testament Bibles and said, boy, let me show you something. And turned to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, a man reaps what he sows. I said, son, I want to teach you something right now. If I plant tomatoes here, we're going to get tomatoes. What you reap in your life, that's what you'll sow. I've never forgotten that. I guarantee you, that little boy never forgot that. A dad who, or a grandpa who was able to speak to his son about God about God's Word, about what God's Word says. A, a grandpa who even thought that morning when he was putting on his overalls, I might need this. And put the Bible in there. One who thinks, here's a teaching lesson, one who thinks that planting the garden is like what God teaches me. This is what I read in the Psalms. What about Exodus 13 that I preached on just a few weeks ago? You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me. Exodus 13, 14, And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. God did this. But the Exodus is teaching us that our children are going to ask us questions. Why is this happening to us? Why are we going through this? How are we going to handle this? What do we do from here? Kids ask those questions. Like when the kids ask, How'd that baby get in mama's stomach? Now, we're not ready to get into the birds and the bees with them yet. But we are able to say, God put it there. We are able to say, God makes kids. We are able to tell them, God wanted our family to have another baby. And so he gave us one. We are able to say, that's what happened back in 2008 with you, JJ. That's what happened back in 2009 with you, Eli. God gave you to me. And so I've got to take very serious, JJ and Eli, that you're not really, really mine. You're mine for a little bit. You're God's. You're mine for a little bit, and I love you that much. But you are God's kid. Folks, you and I need to understand that our children have been given to us on loan. God made them. God owns them. And one day they will stand in front of Him. God has just placed us in their lives to love them well, instruct them well, train them well, lead them well. And when I'm able to say to my kids, God gave you to me. I need to lead you well. I need to be a good dad to you during this time. It points to what God is teaching us in the Scriptures. What about Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7? And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This picture is mind-boggling to families today. The idea of a mom and dad talking continually with their children. In the morning, that's their conversation. In the afternoon, that's their conversation. And when they sit around the dinner table, that's their conversation. When they go to bed, that's their conversation. Jesus, 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 Jesus is what is on the tip of our tongue. 
tongue to our children because if there's anything they get from us, they must get that. Don't get me wrong. We're to talk about other things too. Our kids don't go through a single day where I haven't talked to them about their homework. They don't go through a single day where I haven't talked to them about sports. They don't go through a, a single day where we haven't played soccer or worked on basketball. And my kids right now could already come and show you perfect form, elbow in, extend it, follow through. They know how to shoot a jump shot already. We talk about those things. We talk about all that. We had a conversation this week about what kind of girls they like, who they think is pretty, what type of wife they want. We talk about everything. But the main thing that we talk about is God and what He's doing because this is what I see God telling us to do. And it doesn't work for me to do everything else well and neglect this part. That's not the reality of what God has told us to do. It carries over into the New Testament when Jesus is there. And one of my favorite things about Jesus is that He loved kids. The Bible teaches us that Jesus, Lord Jesus, King Jesus, loved children. And there was a time where once they figured out that Jesus was awesome and Jesus was God, people were bringing kids to Jesus all the time. It was chaos. There were crowds. And and the apostles tried to stop that. They said, no, 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 get the kids away from Jesus. He doesn't have time for this. And Jesus rebuked them, it says. And Jesus called the children to Him and said, let the children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And our Lord Jesus gives a stern message to folks like you or I. If we do anything, it must not be a hindering children from God. It must not. We cannot be a people that are hindering kids from God. And I don't mean just in the way we live in our personal lives. I mean holistically everything we do. Our church cannot be a place that causes kids to say, I don't like being around there. Your attitude, your love, your acceptance cannot be a place. I've told this several times. I want to tell it again. In my first year here, 2003, as the youth pastor, I was doing everything I can to get kids around here. And we had a chairman of the deacons. We had a kid run through here and had a chairman of the deacons stop me and say, boy, I don't want to ever see kids running in here again. To me. He's not here. That deacon's not here anymore. He's probably sitting somewhere now with no kids. His church is probably dying. Folks, if you don't emphasize young people, it's not going to work. Now, should kids take off running through here right now? No. But we are not so hard on kids not being able to run. That's what kids do. I'm more concerned about a kid that doesn't run than I am about a kid running in church. We want kids to run. We want kids to go crazy. We want kids to act silly. We want kids to be loud. We want to teach them rules and how to follow rules too. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going crazy here. But you know what I'm saying. We must be emphasizing young people. Jesus did. The reality is, is that throughout God's entire book, God is telling us we have a huge responsibility to make sure those after us get God. That's what the reality is in the Bible. So we have a big reach. We have a reality. Number three, we have a risk. If we do not, here's the risk. And I don't want you to see this as just a a fear, just a, a scary thing. That's not us. If we do not focus on young people, we are disobedient. The message of God in the Scriptures. If, 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 if Paul hands this message off to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, and Timothy just sits there and lives it up and doesn't really care, he spends all of his time playing golf, he spends all of his money doing other things, he doesn't invest in young people, then the message went no further than Paul, and there's not going to be anybody else after Timothy. That would be a problem. 
The responsibility here is to be obedient to what God has told Timothy to do through the mouth of Paul. Take this message and trust this message and pass this message off to everybody else. If this message does not get to the next generation, something has gone wrong. God has told us to do it. If we are faithful, God will do it through us. The, the big risk here is that we would be a disobedient people. And I hope and I pray that you as a child of God would think, I don't want to be disobedient. Our disobedience will not produce faithfulness to God and to God's calling. Disobedience will lead to our death. And this is always the case. And folks, we are, as you know, sadly living in a time where churches are dying and closing all the time. You don't have to look far you don't have to look around to find churches all over our country that are dying. Churches that are closing their doors. We have people on a regular basis attend our church and say, well, we're looking for a church because our church closed down. And while there may be all types of answers to why this is the case, one very clear, glaringly obvious answer is the case. They have not had an emphasis on young people. You emphasize young people, you'll see people get married, you'll see people have babies, and there will always be young people around. It's scary to think that our disobedience could lead to our death. And yet that is a very simple gospel truth. That was the message in the Garden of Eden. God says, if you don't obey me, you will die. And while that is true in our own hearts and souls, with the wages of sin is death, if anybody is not forgiven of their sins, they will die in their sins and stand in the judgment and condemnation of God. It is also the case for us as those who are ministers and ambassadors of reconciliation. It is also the case of us who understand the young people after us need to get this. And if they don't get this through us, through our faithfulness, through our obedience, then there will be death. Couple that with the idea that the Bible says that Satan is like a lion roaming around seeking to devour people. Satan is hoping right now to destroy. Satan is hoping that messages like this will, will, will not be preached. Satan is hoping that churches will not get it together and put all of their emphasis on young people and realize the next generation. Satan is hoping that the churches will continue to die instead of rise up with an emphasis on young people. Satan is out there doing that. The world wants to distract them and pull them away. Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy Churches will die if there is no emphasis on young people. Just this past week, I got to go to the FCA Share the Victory Dinner. Legendary football coach, Florida State coach Bobby Bowden was there. He travels and speaks all the time now. He said he speaks to church groups over 100 times a year, even at 85 years old. And here's what he said he observes. He goes to churches all the time. He says, churches are full of gray hair. The churches I go to have gray hair everywhere. Gray hair, gray hair, gray hair. And it makes me wonder, where are all the young people? That's my point one said today, it's not because there aren't young people. Young people are all around. Young people are all around. Folks, we cannot be okay with a congregation that is aging. We cannot be okay with a church family or church culture that does not emphasize young people. Any church that fails to emphasize young people is in danger of dying and will eventually die. We must realize this risk. There's a passage in the book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to me. That says, All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Listen. And there arose after them another generation who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. 
What a haunting verse. Can you imagine the green household being as focused on Jesus as it is right now and me dying and my grandkids rising up not having anything to do with Jesus? That's what happened there in the book of Judges. Y'all, we run the risk of not emphasizing young people and this being the case. Let me read to you a quote from a recent book I've read. The religiosity of American teenagers must be read primarily as a reflection of their parents' devotion or lack thereof, and by extension, that of their congregation. Often it feels to me as if for many of our people, singing praise songs and hymns on a Sunday morning has turned into an affair with Christ. To many of us, we are far more passionate about lesser things. Temporal concerns such as getting ahead of the office, finding personal happiness in a hobby, driving a new car, or rearing well-balanced children. But we rarely ever get that excited about Christ Himself, at least on any consistent basis. Except when we enter a sanctuary on a Sunday, and then for a while we end up sort of swooning over Christ with feel-good music and heart-stirring prayers, only to return to the daily grind of secular seductions to which, for all practical purposes, we're thoroughly, we are thoroughly married to. Christ is more like a mistress to us. He's someone with whom we have these periodic affairs to reinvigorate our spirits so we can return refreshed to engage all the other agendas that dominate us most of the time. Folks, if this is us, go ahead and chalk it up that we are not going to pass anything on to the next generation. It is so obviously true, and you know this, that we can pass on being a fan of the Kentucky Wildcats or Louisville Cardinals. We seem to do that really well. Why? Because we are all about that. And what kid doesn't get excited about every single Saturday of their life having chips and dip and hot wings and celebration and parents will buy them a new shirt and a new hat and everything to go with it because we are so all about this. It makes sense. That's good stuff. I do that too. I already told the grandparents the kids need a Charlotte Hornets hoodie for Christmas. We're hoping to get one. What I'm saying is it's not hard for you all to grasp passing something on to the next generation. That happens all the time. It's not hard. All I want to do is play sports. It's very fitting that my kids, all they want to do now is play sports. It's fitting. We pass things on to the next generation. You know that. What I want you to hear today from the Scriptures is that the most important thing we are to pass on is God. Speaking of one generation failing to pass it on to the next generation, John Piper writes, how could that happen? Easy. The parents did not pass on the history of the great works of God. They did not pass on the life of God in their midst, and it happens today. There are astonishing statistics of how many children of evangelical churches simply disappear into the world when they leave home. We would like to be the kind of parents, and we would like to be the kind of church where this is not the norm. So we say, we're aware of the risk. And I think we say it before, we say it again. Young people, you matter to us. You are a priority of ours. You are a focus of ours. We want you to get Jesus. But I am mindful and we are mindful that an hour of worship a week won't come close to doing it. Memorizing the catechisms won't even begin to, to, to make it happen. It must be a life. It must be a relationship. It must be the communication of the Word of God empowered by the spiritual, supernatural work of God to change a life. And this happens. It does happen. 
in Alex and Brett Harris's book from years ago, Do Hard Things. These 17-year-olds wrote a book on churches raising the expectations for children. They said, listen here, young people, most people don't expect you to understand what we're going to tell you in this book. And even if you do understand, they don't expect you to care about it. And even if you care about it, they don't expect you to do anything about it. And even if you do something about it, they don't expect it to last. Well, we do. They are seeking to raise the bar on expectations from young people. They are seeking to to let people know, let young people know that much is expected of you and much can be accomplished through you. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is of young Daniel. The Bible says in in the book of Daniel that the wicked king Nebuchadnezzar took the sharpest kids and wanted to indoctrinate them, wanted to brainwash them and make them Jews. Or or sorry, keep them from being Jews, make them like the Babylonians. The Bible says that Daniel was a teenager, and he said this, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief. Folks, that is what we are aware of. And we understand that the risk of not doing it can create kids who have no concern in the world for Jesus and the things of God, for truth and making a lasting difference in the world. And so we want to be aware of that risk and we want to go back to the reality and invest in young people, emphasize young people, and watch God do great things through young people. Because he can. The point is this. The usual adult expectations for youth are too low. And we believe it is time now to emphasize young people. Ask God to raise them up. Set the bar high, the standard high, the expectations high, and watch God do great things through them. So there is a reach that there are kids everywhere. There is the reality that this is God's plan to pass it on. There is the risk that if we don't, we are disobedient. And that concerns all who are truly children of God, followers of Jesus. But lastly, there is the reward when we stick to what God has said and we let God's Word be the absolute model and standard for our lives. If you're a reader of the Bible, of God's Word, you cannot miss all of those references that I pointed out. I didn't even need, because I was aware of those passages, I didn't even need to go to a concordance. I didn't need to search all of the passages that speak of children in the next generation. There are countless more. If you want to be somebody who is committed to the Word of God, you will not miss the idea, especially of 2 Timothy 2 2, from Paul to Timothy saying, make sure this gets to them. The reward is that God's message will advance. The reward is that many young people will come to follow Jesus. The reward is that, as we have said, we will see the fruit of it being windy around here, as I said last week. As time passes, each successive generation will receive the truth and then pass on the truth, and this is how God has designed it. Let me throw some more Scriptures at you just to encourage you of God working in young people. And young people, listen to me. Let this be the case for you. Psalm 71.5 For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. You have been my hope and my trust from my youth, Psalm 71 says. 
Many of you can point back to being a young child when God worked mightily in your life and you have been seeking Him ever since. I was 12 years old from a family that didn't go to church and we started attending church. And at 12 years old, when we started attending church, God saved me and changed my life. And people love to say, well, you're, is your dad in the ministry? No, my dad's the farthest thing from being in the ministry. God worked in my life at a young age. The, the girl I married got, got, got saved at age five. Five years old. Valeria did. And has been in love with God ever since. God can do things in young people if you and I start to emphasize this and understand this. Samuel, speaking in 1 Samuel 12, says, And now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Samuel says that. I was a little boy when God got a hold of me, and I've been following Him ever since. Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Psalm 144 verse 12, May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown. We like to make excuses. We hear people say so often things like, well, you know, I didn't raise them that way. Or, you know, I took them to church. Or I, or I went that way. We seem to be okay with excuses like that. And, and let, let, I'm not here today to, to talk about all the negatives that are going around with it, but I want us to be a people who, who don't need to make excuses, but a people who are going to the Word of God and saying, I want to be all about God and His truth and His life-changing message through Jesus, and I want that to overflow out of me to everybody that's around me. And if my children are around me 24-7, then I want it to overflow unto them too. Psalm 127, verses 3-5. through 5. If you don't know this passage, you should. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Listen, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Arrows. Arrows. Like a warrior in battle reaching back to his quiver and pulling them out and about to kill somebody and nobody's going to stop him. Our children are like that. But don't you dare try to have four or five these days and watch all of the negative comments that will come. Many of you all, not many, some of you all have yet to say congratulations to me and vow because you think that having a fifth is a problem. Yet the Bible tells me they're arrows in the hand of me, the warrior that wants to reach the world for Jesus. And we invest the truth of God into them and watch what happens. If Val wasn't having C-sections and if we could afford it, may God give us 10 or 15. The Bible calls them arrows. God wasn't wrong or out of His mind or drunk when He wrote that. He was serious. He goes on to say, blessed is that man who fills his quiver with them. The quiver is full of arrows, and the arrows are children. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The next time you see a man not being put to shame, thank God because it's because of his children. Because God can do that. Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Do you know that Proverbs was written for the young people? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 4. To give it to the youth. 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul writes to Timothy in the book before today's passage. Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy, I know you're young. And I know people love to look down on young people. But Timothy, you set the example in love, speech, Conduct, faith, and purity. Folks, the Bible believes 
that young people absolutely can be the standard of what God wants. And you better believe in Fairdale, Kentucky, that if the old people aren't going to be it, the young people will. It can happen. It breaks my heart to know the many churches in Louisville and around us that are absolutely failing to reach young people. Many youth groups today that have full-time staff people cannot get 20 people there on a Wednesday night. They act like reaching young people is impossible. The emphasis needs to be on young people. One more verse before I close. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 13. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. It is absolutely possible for God to be more pleased and glorified and worshipped through young people than through successful, prideful old people. Even those with titles like a king. Ecclesiastes 4 says it. Since I graduated high school, which was 16 years ago, 1998, there have been two occasions that I have called my old high school basketball coach, only two. I ran into him one time and I talked to him another time, but two times I have found his phone number and called him. His name is Milt Flo, Coach Milt Flo. I called him these two times to thank him for his impact upon my life. I've talked about that before. Listen, neither time, neither time did I bring up basketball. Coach Bobby Bowden said just the other night, former players write to me all the time. I've had thousands of former players. And I get calls and I get letters on a regular basis from them to say thank you. He said it is never about football. You know what that means? An older person investing in a younger person speaks volumes. And we know it to be the case. And as long as we're talking about sports or a school or something like that, we're okay with it. But may we be a people who are hearing from the Word of God. God's been saying that long ago. Before we ever had teams and coaches, God had been telling us, this is the model. This is the strategy. To which one commentator says, parents, successful parenting is more than compliant kids. It is gospel-saturated living and teaching. Show your children how Christ crucified for our sins and Christ raised for our justification and Christ showing the Father's love and Christ guaranteeing the Spirit's daily help. Show them how this gospel is not just something that begins the Christian life, but empowers it and shapes it and sustains it. Pray and love and teach your children until Christ breaks in on their hearts and becomes their treasure. May God give us a vision for the next generation that glorifies the gospel of Christ and leads thousands of young people to the cross where they find forgiveness of sins and broken-hearted humility and Christ-exalting courage to rebel against low expectations and to do hard things as they follow Christ. The Bible has told us so many times that when Christ is lifted up, He will draw all men unto Himself. The Bible has taught us that if we preach Jesus Christ crucified, then many will be saved. The Bible says that when people hear about Christ dying for their sins, the Holy Spirit saves people. Folks, the problem is not the young people. The problem is the message that we're telling and the love that comes from the people that are telling it. 
or the lack thereof of telling it. Why all the emphasis on young people? Because that's God's emphasis. And may you, may you and I hear from the Word, the Word of God, that that should be our focus. As we move forward, let's be a church that understands that. That doesn't mean everybody needs to sign up for youth ministry. That doesn't mean everybody needs to be upstairs this Wednesday night. This means that you need to have a heart and a mind to care for the younger people. And may God raise up in us an absolute army of young people that love and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the scriptures teaching us what you are like. Our reach is there. The reality is that this is what you're about. The risk is a big one. Disobedience and failure. But yet the reward is clear. That you do it. You can be trusted. Father, as we sing this last song, move in our hearts to embrace a God-centered Bible truth emphasis on young people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.